Welcome to the Tell Janice Radio Show, where you will hear inspiring stories about life, love, and labor from amazing women to help lift you up. Now, here's your host, Janice. Thanks very much, and welcome to the show. I'm so happy that you're listening, and I'm sure you're going to learn a lot from our guest today. But before we get started, I wanted to remind you that if you know of a fabulous female that you would like me to give a shout-out to with a few words of encouragement, acknowledgement, or congratulations, please let me know their names by clicking on the link at telljanice.com. My guest today is Joanne Duggan of Plan C Strategies. She's an emotional intelligence expert out of Lexington, Massachusetts, and she's been on the show several times, and her topic today will be the third part of her uh, series on fear and worry, what is it good for? Welcome to the show, Joanne. Thank you, Janice. I'm so excited to have you on, and we like to get our have our guests get started with telling a little bit about themselves, and I know that some of our guests have not heard maybe the first two on fear and worry. Can you start with that, how you started with this topic and, and where you are today? Um, I was brought up in a dysfunctional family, and I was worried and afraid all of the time, and it controlled my entire life in addition to a severe hormonal imbalance that I had. And, um, and it was through my own personal search that I, and calling in life, that I became a therapist. And then through the years of working with many, many individuals and couples and families have created this system so that people can handle what's happening in their lives well, especially the stress. So um, in discovering what stress is, I've come to the topics of fear and worry. Well, I think that, um, you know, this is such a relevant topic for all of us. I know I've experienced fear and worry, and um, I've learned a lot from your first two segments. So you, how do we move into the third segment, and what will you be talking about today? Well, what we can do is review very briefly the first two pieces. And the, third, and the first one is... Um, what is stress and what is fear and worry. And then the second piece is what are the first steps to do in order to change the pattern that creates the stress, the fear and the worry. And today what we'll be discussing is the final piece of what to do um, once you've understood it, which was part one, part two, which was, what do you do with the information once you realize that you're worrying and mm-hmm. you're afraid? Again, you're under stress. And today will, again, be the piece of then what do you actually do that changes it so that you're living a life that's healthy and handling the stress in your life in a much better and healthier way? Perfect. So today it's going to be what actions we can take to help change how we react to um, fear and worry. Perfect. Thank you, Joanne. Yes. You're welcome. So if you want to get started with that, what action steps should we take when we're, fear- when we're feeling fearful about something? 
Okay. Well, first of all, understand that there's fear and there's worry. They're two separate things. They are inextricably tied, though. Fear is naturally what happens because our brains are always looking for for situations where we might be threatened, the fight or flight response as people know it. So the brain is always alert, waiting to feel threatened. The more comfortable we are in terms of our basic needs being met, which is food and shelter, the more we then are looking, our brains are still looking for situations where we might feel threatened. The more comfortable you are, the more comfortable your the things that threaten you are. Having said that, so it can be things like relationships. It can be things like um you know, the 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 towels or not enough hot water. Though you know, it can be it's driving in traffic. Those are the things that are now what get into our brains, cause the stress. The problem is, though, that then what happens is we are fighting to stay alive. The water not being hot enough, though, is not deserving of a survival response, yet that's what we do. The survival responses are ones to try and keep us alive, and they are worry thoughts. What do I do when I'm being threatened by this you know, tiger that's going to eat my family alive, okay? Well, again, so we worry, and that's where the change can happen. The Mm -hmm. fear will show up. The worry, though, are the negative thoughts. So the first thing that people can do is understand and make a separation, differentiate between worry and fear. Understand that that worry is so unbelievably stressful. It feels terrible. One of the things that I said in our last call that you really pulled out was uh, when I said that we speak to ourselves internally the way we'd never speak to anyone else. We are so negative in our own heads. So what I want to offer to people is the first step is noticing when your mind is thinking worried thoughts, you're angry, you're frustrated, you're sad, you're, you know, a- anything. Again, all of that falls under the bigger category of worry. And it comes from the big category of worry. I mean, of fear, excuse me. So stress is fear and worry. Fear mm-hmm. happens. You can't stop it. Worry is negative thoughts. You'd never speak to anyone else as you speak to yourself. So the first step is observing that. When you observe that, the action to take is to breathe in and to breathe out, to understand that you are feeling fear, but you are thinking worry and thinking negative thoughts. And to stop it is noticing. The first thing to do is to notice that you're in that pattern. Mm -hmm. So that's the first action, okay? So it's self-observation. What is it that's going on here? Okay? And I think we all we need to realize this. Let me back up because what really helped me in your first two segments was that, you know, the fear is primal for us, and it's the survival mode, right? Yes. So once you explained that, it's like, okay, well, 
the water being not hot enough or my pilot, which is out this morning, by the way, <laughs> that's funny you should say that, that should not be um, something that I should be truly worried about. It would be, you know, the, the tigers are circling my family type of thing. So we were pre-wired, you know, in, in primal times for fear, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. And so what happens is you go to your very nice stove, okay, instead of having to go and collect the wood and start the fire, which is what Homo sapiens have done for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Mm -hmm. The time that we've had these very lovely places to have, you know, in our homes where we turn a little switch. How old is this? A hundred years? I mean, right. I don't know the history on the indoor oven, but I'm guessing that, you know, this is, it's indoor plumbing. It's new, really, mm -hmm. really microscopically new in the grand scheme of things. So, yes, yeah, so then what happens is you go, oh, no fire, okay? So the primal brain reacts, no fire, as if there's no wood, there's no light, there's no nothing, and you guys are going to freeze and starve to death. The thing is, though, that what, so you feel that that's already going on it takes no time at all for those chemicals to be reacting and then your brain starts thinking oh my god now i can't no breakfast da, 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 there's a problem i don't have time well that's where the worried thoughts happen that's the point and you can't stop that either it's how quickly you notice that there you are standing in front of the stove going, oh, my God, I can't feed the children. I don't have enough time. Oh, what a problem. My stove is broken, okay, mm -hmm. which is a problem. Okay, what I want to differentiate is, though, the problem is not your stove is broken. Your stove is broken is what's happening. How you're handling it is what your problem is. So back to fear happens. So that's what's happening. What you, if you worry, that's how you're handling it. What I offer to you is if you notice the patterns, if you notice when the mind is going into the negative space. So you're standing there, you wake up, you go to put your coffee on, you turn it on, the pilot light is off. You go, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I don't have time. I can't make the kids. And then you say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Stop. Breathe in and breathe out. My mm -hmm. brain is reacting from a f primal place. Breathe in and breathe out. How do I want to handle this? Breathe in and breathe out. That is the first step. Because you know how when you get upset and somebody really helpfully says to you, would you just, just breathe, calm down? Well, if I could, I would. Okay, the problem is <laughs> that you can't when someone tells you in the moment. What I want to offer to you is they're giving you the best advice that you could possibly have, and the only one that can give it is you because you're the only one that you're going to take that advice from. Right. When somebody else says it, usually it's the opposite effect. Of course. It's like, don't because, tell me again, to calm down. The brain, that's right, because the brain is on fight or flight. So someone coming in and saying, calm down, which you're not, don't tell me what to do. I'm not, you're naming exactly where I'm not, okay? Don't tell me right. to calm down. I'm not calm. I'm not calm. Don't tell me calm down. So again, and that's the proof of the insanity of the brain and how it so kicks in. And it's being self, 
actualize in and, and self-observation is what you said, breathing in and breathing well, out. And, and it could be as simple as that. Well, okay, so then you take personal responsibility that and separate out what's happening from how you're handling it. Because, again, the stove light blew out. Now, you could get really upset. You could start throwing pots and pans around. You could start yelling at everybody. You could, you know, whatever. I mean, people handle it in all kinds of ways. You could storm out of the house and go to your local, you know, coffee place. Mm-hmm. Um, conversely, which is where I take people to, which is where I've learned how to get to in my own life, and that is you get down, you turn the stove on, the pilot light's broken, you breathe in and you breathe out immediately. Okay, here's what's happening. My, my pilot light is out. What is most beneficial right here, right now? Mm-hmm. And so you kind of put is, it in the proper perspective. It's, it's not like you're gonna, going to uh, you bring die in, or your yeah, children you, aren't going to die. Your children aren't going to die. Is it a drag? Mm-hmm. Yes. Are there things to be concerned about? The cost of it, the, you know, you know, does this, you know, all that stuff. Again, all of those are concerns. Having said that, though, worrying about it is not being responsible because it's right. inaction. That was something else that I've said in the past that, you, that really resonated for you. Mm-hmm. Worry is fake pretend responsibility. You think you're being responsible, at least you're worrying about it. Well, you're not. You're making yourself sick. Again, back to stress. Mm-hmm. Worry is stress. Life is stressful enough. Don't add worry on top of it. It goes back to, you know, the way that you introduced me as the creator of Plan C Strategies. This is where Plan C Strategies came in, which is if you realize and understand the piece about what fear is and that it's primal brain-based and worry are negative thoughts that we are just programmed to have and that really getting to a place where you are winning the fight because this is what stops us from what we're truly trying to achieve which is happiness and success so how to win the fight because our brains okay our fear and our worry keep us from happiness and success so to win that fight is understanding that fear is primal worry is what you can control because those are your negative thoughts stopping and plant these strategies, which are five steps. One is breathe in, breathe out. Number two is small smile, because you always feel better if you just make a little smile, especially when you don't feel like it. Plus, mm-hmm. it makes much better wrinkles on your face, and God willing, everybody's getting older, so you want to make nice wrinkles <laughs> rather than ugly wrinkles. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number three is it's not what's happening. It's how I handle it that determines my life. Right. Okay. Number four is identify and define your values. And number five is all your actions are based on your values. So what we've been talking about, one and two, the first and second parts of this are breathe in and breathe out and about the taking It's not what's happening. It's how you handle it. Today what we're talking about really is four and five. So how do you handle it? Once you notice and observe that you're worrying how do you you stop it by breathing in and out? That immediately changes the pattern. And then identify and define a value. So let's say, let's just pick an easy one, which is calm. Again, calm down. Right. So let's pick that, okay? 
Everybody values calm. That's why we go on vacation. That's why we put up pictures of palm trees in the Caribbean, because they make <laughs> us feel calm. <laughs> right? Very true. Right. Okay, so breathe in, breathe out. So you take the value of calm, okay? So you identify it. Again, you can say the Caribbean, ocean, sitting in the backyard, you know, laughing with my friends, um, holding hands with my, you know, partner, uh, writing, reading, whatever. That's what calm is, okay? So you describe it. Then what you do is what are your actions when you are expressing calm? Well, I want to offer to you the easy one for that is I'm breathing in and out and smiling. So you're being Plan C strategies number one and two all the time. I love so that. If you focus on that, okay, just keep it simple. All right. So there's your actions. So you go back to you're living your life. You come down, and you're already living your life. So you're in Plan C all the time. You're breathing in and out, and you're smiling all the time because that's what you've decided to focus on is calm. So you get up in the morning and you breathe and you go, oh, yeah, I'm plan C. Breathe in and out and smile. And you go downstairs, you're breathing in and out and you're smiling. You're already in a good space because you're already focused on who you want to be, which is the best of yourself. You go down, you turn the pilot light on. I will tell you, you will have a different experience. <laughs> and even if your primal brain goes, oh, no, which it will, you breathe in and you breathe out and you smile. You go, okay, I can handle this. Because, again, it happens. So it's not what's happening. It's how you handle it. I love that. And I have your to values. I have to interrupt yep. and tell you this because I have adopted the smile first thing in the morning. And I could not remember and did not look back on my notes. And I kept t- telling myself, who was it that told me to smile first thing in the morning? And that has made a huge impact. And I shared that with somebody else, and it's made a huge impact on that person too. So thank you for that, because you can't help but feel a, you know, more uplifted instead of when you sometimes wake up and you just want to go, ugh. And so I smile, and I got it from you. Thank you, Joanne. Well, you're very welcome. You know, uh, may I share with you the story of why that is so important, why that's number two in Plan C strategies? Please. Okay. So uh, I had a very, very hard time uh, a few years ago for several years. So recently, you know, um, for Mm -hmm. about five years, uh, there was some stuff that was going on for my husband professionally and for my child at school that was very, very difficult. So um, in any case, and, uh, and I was not handling it well at all, at all. And um, uh, one day I was particularly stressed out and was worrying and afraid and just overwhelmed. And I went to the bathroom and uh, I was washing my hands. And I don't normally look at myself in the mirror for no particular reason. Um, I just don't. Um, And uh, I looked up as I was washing my hands, so I was bent over, and my face was quite close to the mirror. And I looked up, and I was frowning, and I was horrified by what I looked like. I mean, I I looked like I just crawled out of the crypt. So Mm. I just smiled because I didn't know what else to do. And I looked so much better, and then I let my face fall. And I was like, oh, my God. And then I smiled, and I looked so much better. So as badly as I was feeling, that day I just smiled because I thought, oh, my God, I can't not do that. And I felt better. And so I built it into my program. 
And I have to, you know, at that point in my life, and I have to tell you, it was the point where everything really began to change and fall into place because I couldn't go as far down as I was going if I focused on setting the goal that my action was smiling. And what came from that was much more happiness, so therefore I then went back into my values, and it was like, okay, well, what am I doing? Well, I was always breathing, and now I was smiling. And everything is better when you're doing when you're doing those two actions. And again, as you know, if if anyone's listening who has an aging face, go look in the mirror and frown, and then go look in the mirror and smile, and tell me which one you look better. A smile is, is ten years off your face, and uh, and be that. And again, it's not even so much. Um, it's who do you want to be? It's a total life experience. I want to be the person who's walking down the street, breathing and smiling. That's who I want to be because it feels good to me. And I know that when people see me walking down the street, they see that. So I get smiles from other people. Most people don't. But if I'm walking down the street smiling and breathing because it makes me feel good, then I'm connecting with other people and making and exchanging good things with them and and so forth and so on. So, so it's that's infectious. Where, it can really be infectious. You know, when you it when is. you it is. I agree. Because, again, I mean, you know, like you said, you know, your experience is and I'm so glad to hear that you're focusing on the commitment of a decision that you've made, um, which is to smile first thing in the morning, and it makes a difference. Huge. So uh, again, smile right now. I'm smiling right now. Are you smiling? And <laughs> <laughs> See, no, and, and it, it's, just, it's as simple and doesn't as it lead that. to a giggle? And it leads yeah, to always. a giggle. <laughs> always. I know you can't even when you're not happy. It's I amazing. agree. Well, I like that you've you've put it, you've given some tools that even relatively simple, like uh, identifying your values, and you mentioned the word calm. I love that. That just just using calmness could alleviate so much worry in our lives, no matter what it is. Just remaining calm. Well, well, again, it, it, let me just offer to you. Yes, having said that, though, it works. It's why I call it Plan C Strategies. It works for any value. The focus is what are your values? Because the values are the best of all of us. It's the part Mm -hmm. that unites us. Um, It's the part that, um, again, what do we want to impart to our children, our values? You know, what is it? If you walk around and you start looking at signs and you read the language, and I'm not talking about, you know, signs for buildings, but, you know, other things, well, people have, you know, all kinds of, again, value-based words, loyalty, Mm -hmm. uh, fairness, justice, uh, health, honesty, commitment, love. So what I want to offer to you, it's not just calm, it's anything. And that it's noticing that fear happens, noticing the worry, then taking any value. So let's take another one. Let's take love. Everybody, mm-hmm. everybody struggles with love. Well, what are you doing when you are being loving? Well, I know I am making eye contact. I know that I am listening really carefully. 
Mm-hmm. I also know, which then takes us into a second level of values, and that is I value healthy boundaries. So when I am loving myself the most, I am being very clear about maintaining healthy boundaries because I grew up in a family where there were no boundaries. So I yeah. have really, really unhealthy boundaries. So, again, I looked at I know that healthy boundaries are good for me, Well, what am I doing when I am setting healthy boundaries for myself with everybody else that I come into contact with? It's no different with my child or my husband or you or the stranger on the street. I am the same. I am a woman who has, uh, uh, where healthy boundaries are extremely important, Mm -hmm. where love is extremely important, where calm is extremely important where integrity is extremely important. So I go through my entire day breathing in and out and smiling and listening really carefully, making great eye contact, standing and, you know, asking lots of questions because healthy boundaries are mostly about asking people questions to find out where they're at. It's not about, no, I won't do that. It's about, you know, and then working, you know, again, compassionately. So that is the process. So, yes, calm, but integrity. Oh, such a good one. That's huge. Love integrity, right? Yeah. Right? Oh, absolutely. And, and personal responsibility, which is the biggest piece of what I think our, our, our society is missing, is that sense of, you know, we're all, you know, I, I have to be responsible to the better good myself because that is, you know, the rules don't bend for me. The rules, you know, and again, uh, I'm I'm all about fighting the rules, but um, being unkind, being, you know, disrespectful. Again, what would the world be like if everybody was just breathing in and out and smiling and walking down the street just for 10 minutes one day? <gasps> <laughs> that, you know, it would, I would I would venture to say, and most a lot of people would say that's like the perfect world, but I don't know one one person at a time helping one person at a time, right? No, you. If you do it, it starts with you. It's personal right. responsibility. Right. I do it. And and let me ask you this, Joanne. So, do you think? Because I know you've talked a bit about your your childhood, and that's what brought you to establishing the, your core values which are calm, love, you know, healthy boundaries and integrity. So do you think it takes maturity to get to this point, or do you think we can teach our children early on? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of my areas of passion and expertise is working with parents who have not been parented well Mm -hmm. to learn how to do this for themselves and then how to parent because this is that was my that was my petri dish was my parenting, um, mm-hmm. and it still is. Uh, again, I have a 19 year old who just started her sophomore year in college, um, so I have only one child. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, you know that's an experience unto itself. Um, you know, and most people don't only have one child. Um, but having said that, uh, I you know uh, so much of what I've of what I share comes from my 
the way that I was parented and the way that I showed up in my early years of parenting, which was as a horrible parent, um, in my opinion, and then the ch- the changes that I've made. So I walk my talk with my kid, and uh, mm-hmm. I will tell you, I mean, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And I have uh, a phenomenally good relationship with her, and she is, as 19 as you can get. I don't have an easy kid, so um, I'm not here to say to you, oh, and we're all close and it's wonderful. It's not that. Again, I handle what happens, and she gives me everything that 19 can handle. Um, and uh, But I handle it well, and it's I see... I see it, the changes in her. One thing that a friend of hers who was over this summer was saying was that uh, my daughter is so confident. You know, she was like, you know, we're all, we don't know anything about ourselves. You're so confident. Well, one of the things that I, that if you can name your values and identify them, you then can name your ch- children's uh, uh, personality traits, and they learn from that. I was always told, which my parents meant to be helpful, but it wasn't, you can do anything. What does that mean? Well, I tell, I've told my daughter since she's been six years old what I know about her. This is who she is. This, you know, like, for instance, my daughter is one of the most loyal people I've ever met. She's also somebody who must have physical exercise every single day. Mm-hmm. She's also uncannily intuitive. Uh, she's a phenomenally good writer. Okay, so those are the things that I have stressed to her because my value has been about helping her see who she is so she can step into the best person that she is and doesn't have to struggle as much as most of us who have no idea who we are. And that is, you know, and that has bred a certain level of confidence. So, no, I don't think it's only about age. I think that it is about an openness and a willingness to take personal responsibility and start with yourself, accept what the reality is of life, and, 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 and be willing to, to have a shift in perspective. Right, and she must have seen that with you, you know, with you being able to instill these values with her. And what would you say? What would you say was the turning point with her? And I, I have a 26-year-old daughter, so I, I, I hear what you're saying. You know, she can bring the the 26 and everything at me, but she does stop to listen to me when I've changed my attitude. So when was that turning point for you maybe with your daughter? Um, that's a really interesting question. Um. It's still a work in progress. Yeah, ultimately the honest answer. Um, I started changing my approach to what is now fully formed and what you and I are discussing um, somewhat in depth, but still quite briefly. Um, But it, when I started doing this when she was maybe nine years old. There was a particular event where I was like, I'm not going to, I can't parent like this anymore. I can't parent like this anymore. Um, And at the same time, I was given a great book that I recommend to everyone called Unconditional Parenting by Alfie Cohn, K-O-H-N. And so between what was happening in my house, how I was handling it, and this book, 
um, that's when things really began to change for me. Um, and then, um, you know, uh, as you know, there's a huge difference once they start out, of, you know, once they get into high school, certainly, or out of even elementary school. Um, middle school is a whole other, you know, category, but certainly high school. And then, you know, if uh, your child goes to college, what those years are like. And then, you know, I mean, developmentally, the brain is not fully developed until you're 25. So adolescence doesn't officially end until 25. Right. Um, right. And the adolescent brain is irrational by definition. So, well, I think um, that... So I hope this, that answers your question. Oh, absolutely. As to when it changed. I changed long before she did. But she's, you know, and again, and she's still, you know, growing up. So it's still, I, I you know... Um, I am much, when something happens raising her that is very stressful, causes fear and a lot of worry, because what do we do as parents? We're professional worriers. I am able to bring myself down to a place within about five minutes so that I am no longer worried and I'm no longer feeling the fear, and I am handling the situation in a way that I will tell you I feel very, very proud about and that she, that she responds positively to. So, um, so that, I think, is the best outcome. Well, that's a terrific story, especially, you know, as a, regarding your, your daughter, because that's what we're here for, you know, if we have children, um, how to help them through things that we have, you know, struggled through. Uh, especially with fear and worry. Um, now, let me ask you one more question, and, I, and I'm not sure I've asked you this one because you've mentioned growing growing up in a dysfunctional family, but if there were anything that you brought out of that from a positive standpoint from your parents and, and who, whoever raised you, what positive aspect of growing up did you bring, did you learn from? From the negative, from the dysfunction, or were there good parts of the family? Well, there there was a parts. lot of great stuff. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Oh my goodness! Oh my yeah. goodness! First of all, I got unbelievably good physical genes. You know, I'm uh, I'm tall, I'm thin naturally. Uh, I've got really thick hair, so I'm ve- you know I'm healthy. I've got long life. Uh, you know, I mean all that stuff. So let me just say, I am extremely grateful because without your health, you have nothing. So I inherited an enormous amount of really good healthy genes. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, both of my parents are very very cultured. So I grew up very cultured. I've seen, you know, I've been uh, to museums and, and, and theater and concerts while I was growing up. Uh, it was a regular part of my life. Um, my parents mm-hmm. were very, very well read, and so uh, I got the gift of reading from them. I got the gift of being interested in current events from them. The New York Times was delivered to our doorstep every morning, um, and I continue to read the New York Times every day, and we were constantly talking about things. I have a love of music from my parents. Um, So many, I have a great sense of humor because my father was very funny, I spent a lot of time, my father was very handy, and so he was always making things, you know, in the house and wallpapering and whatnot, and he let me help him, so I'm very comfortable doing things like that. Um, you know, my mother was a nursery school teacher, and my love of children absolutely was um, from her in terms of that. So, no, it's I'm very grateful for all of that. And 
wake up every day very grateful for what uh, for the goodness that I received, and also right. at this point in my life from all of the emotional abuse that uh, that that they caused because uh, um, uh, because without that I wouldn't be who I am today. All of it. Right. So, um, that you need age and wisdom to get to. I think that you don't go through <laughs> <laughs> Age and wisdom, and we can't end the segment without. I always have to remind our audience that um, you're called the middle-aged answer woman, and I love that. And we need to—I think yeah. we really need to own our our age. You know, I'm not afraid to tell anyone how old I am. And I've asked two people recently how old they were, thinking that they were younger than me, which I thought was safe, and they wouldn't answer me. So I—I I mean, I'm. I'm out there with it. I think we should be proud of it as women. So how old are you? I'm 56. Are you really? When's your birthday? Um, January 14th and 60. Oh, lovely, lovely, <laughs> lovely. Well, I just turned 60 this past, past February 12th, and I, too, own it. It's back to I walk down the street breathing in and out and smiling because that's the kind of person I want to be. I also want to be the kind of person that's 60 years old and says, this is what 60 is. And, right. and, and I don't know what 60 is supposed to be. I just know what mine is. So I'm stepping fully into what I think is the fabulousness of 60. You know, you ask about, you know, well, was there positive in the dysfunctional family? Yes, there was. Well, there's also huge positive in aging as far as I'm concerned. Um, and uh, and these are just phenomenal years. I, you know, I, I, I'm sure at some point it will work in the reverse. But having said that, these are just... Uh, these are just incredible years and uh just you wait you'll see you'll see you young <laughs> you. well i'm not too far i'm not too far behind you joanne but no I'm, you're not I'm, no and i'm so happy that you mentioned it that way because uh you know you hear people turning 50 women turning 50 and they're really dreading it well i really think i've I've blossomed and so many women that i've interviewed including you have really blossomed and and learned so much, you know, in their in the latter part of their years, and we're living to a hundred these days. We're not, you know, retiring at sixty five, most most likely anymore. So we have a, a lot of years ahead and a lot to share with each other. And and I feel, you know, back to responsibility. I have a responsibility to be who I am at the age that I am, and not feel the society's pressure to be young. What young was, was, you know, I was cuter. My skin was, you know, tighter. Uh, having said that, that's about all that I can say about it <laughs> in terms of how it was better. Um, you know, I didn't, I, I have more energy now. I, um, you know, I'm smarter, I'm wiser, I'm happier, I'm much more successful uh, in ways that really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, and I, you know, uh, these are the good old days as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So, I completely uh, those agree. Were, you know, thank goodness. Oh, would you want to be 25 again? Oh, no, never, never, never. Now, let's tell or why don't you talk to our listeners about what you're working on, um, how to get in touch with you. You mentioned that you're working on a book. And yep. if you can, yeah, talk a little bit about that before we get off. Sure. 
My book is in the editing. I'm editing the manuscript as we speak. It's called Fear and Worry, The Fight for and Against Happiness and Success. And uh, it will be a combination of story, short stories as well as a workbook. Um, it'll be very interactive, lots and lots of fun. So, um, so that's where my time and attention has been. I also have my private uh, consulting uh, practice where I work with people very intensively who want to get fully committed to making the kinds of changes that we were just describing and working within the Plan C strategies construct. Um, who want, you know, are tired of living based on what they think they should and could do um, and haven't and didn't yet but might in the future and instead live a values, action-based and driven life um, so that they truly achieve, again, you know, uh, authentic happiness and outrageous success. Um, and uh, the way that people can get in touch with me is by uh, going to my website, which is www dot joanne duggan dot com and it's j o a n n e d o u g a n people get very confused about my name janice they think mm-hmm. that because it's pronounced duggan it should be d u g g a n and what i say to people is no it's doug like the boy d o u g duck a n so duggan and I've even had men named Doug with Doug on their shirt. Like there's a guy at the tire place where I get my tires done. His name is Doug. He always calls me Duke. And I go, hey, Duke, how you doing? He goes, and he, he doesn't remember me. I remember him, of course. And, uh, and, and, and I look at him and I say, you even look at my name and see Duke. Why don't you see your name in my – in any case. So it's J-O-A-N-N-E-D-O-U-G-A-N, Duggan, Doug, like the boy's name. Uh, .com. So, um, and uh, and there's information uh, there about how to reach out and and uh, and get in touch with me. Well, I'm I'm glad uh, that you did this three-part series. I've learned an awful lot, and I know our guests have too. Um, again, I'd invite you to get a hold of Joanne at the website she named. Um, and she, you're doing wonderful things out there. And I hope people took notes. And we'll go back and listen to the show after, afterwards. And it's been such a pleasure. Thanks once again, Joanne. Well, thank you, Janice, for what you're doing and for the opportunity to share what it is that I feel is truly an easy, simple way to handle life so much better. People are so much happier. So breathe in, breathe out, Janice, and keep smiling and spread it around. Absolutely. It's all about the smiling. And thank you so much, Joanne. And take care. Take care. You all too. right. Bye-bye. Ladies, I am so happy that you tuned in today and learned from our amazing, fantastic female guests. And I hope you recognize this as an opportunity to pass their knowledge on to your daughters and friends and share the wisdom of the ages. I'll talk to you again soon, and in the meantime, let's lift each other up, spread the love, and share an attitude of gratitude. You've been listening to the Tell Janice Radio Show. If you'd like to be a guest or suggest a guest for the show, or if you would like to nominate a fabulous female for a shout-out by Janice on the live show, please visit www.telljanice.com. Please share this episode with your social network and help us lift women up. Join us next week for another episode of Tell Janice. How do you help business owners think differently about their businesses? 
Well, uh, you know, I think that there's a range of business owners, right? So, and I provide a couple of different services. On the, on the coaching and consulting side of my business, I think that's what I truly do is, is I help to educate. I think that's the key word, educate business owners on both their opportunities as well as I open their eyes up to what they need to commit to. Uh, certainly when it comes to a personal brand uh, and certainly when it comes to their own business if, if it's a smaller business, right? So, right. you know, I, I educate them on their opportunities. I help them to uncover and really visibly see, you know, who their target audience is online, what their online behaviors are, how to engage them in an authentic way, which is not a piece of cake. You know, it's not like what I'm talking about, steps one, two, and three. It actually does take time, effort, and uh, it takes listening. And that's really what social media was born on, which was data mining. So for business owners, um, and that's why I'm launching on my on my back end of my site um, starting in October, I'm launching from October through about, let's say, January, February, six different courses, all kind of crash courses, all very much for smaller business owners or, you know, business owners that have small businesses that are growing. So that's, you know, I think a small business owner versus someone that is either a mid-market decision maker or I've worked with enterprise level C-levels and their education is much, much different. You know, they've been in the game for a while. They're probably not seeing results and um, it's really about helping them to identify, you know, like, for example, I've worked with many manufacturing companies who've been doing business in a great way for a really long time in an old school kind of what I call like boys network of selling, but haven't used the web. So they need to think in a different way, um, but still leverage their own business processes. Can you share a little bit about yourself to our guests? Sure. So once upon a time, I was a physical therapist, and I had a few bright ideas. So before I knew it, I became an entrepreneur. And over the course of time, I had three fabulous companies, and each one of them grew exponentially. So for example, one of them was an infomercial company that sold hair products for uh, African Americans and Hispanics. And within the first six months, we sold $12 million worth of product. So as you can imagine, that's kind of astronomical growth. And what I learned was that a person who's a physical therapist without any business experience really can get into a lot of trouble. So as good as those companies were, I literally almost grew broke three times. So I had to learn something about business at that point. So that was my beginning. And then for the last 15 years, I've been guiding uh, companies in growing and succeeding and working with their people, their strategy, their execution, and their cash management. So that's who I am. Oh, that's, that's terrific. Um, your logo says scaling for growth is um, a big five for life enterprise. Can you tell more about the big five? Sure. So a few years ago, when the economy was really down, I met a fellow by the name of John Strelecki, who is an author of uh, several books. One of them is The Why Cafe, and another one is The Big Five for Life. And it's really all about knowing your purpose for existing, your own purpose, your business's purpose, and then 
what are the five things that you want to uh, experience or do in your life so that at the end of your life you could say your life was a success? And that doesn't just mean money. It could be anything that you aspire to doing. And companies that instill the big five into their with their employees really attract the right people and they retain them as well because the company then acknowledges their employees as people and find out what you know, what interests them and what their big five would be so that they could support them. So we're a big five for life enterprise now. John has been very popular in the Netherlands and Germany. In fact, his book is, one of his books, The Big Five for Life, has been on the bestseller list for 116 weeks. And wow. uh, another one of his books, uh, The Y Cafe, is also number one. So there's big five for life coaches all over the world, but not in North America.